your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is our last lesson on Ecclesiastes. It's been, it's been a really good series. I've enjoyed going through the book in the series. You know, uh, when I started this series, I had a, had a couple main goals in mind. Uh, one was I wanted to dispel the common misconception that Ecclesiastes is a depressing book. Because God doesn't give us depressing books. So that's one thing I wanted to, to address. And then another thing that I wanted to address was, I think Ecclesiastes can be a confusing book. And I wanted to make sure that we are equipped, even myself, equipped to go back to Ecclesiastes for ourselves and understand it when we go back through it. And um, I was re the, the idea of the series came to me when I was reading through Ecclesiastes uh, for... My uh, poetical books uh, class in, in college, and I, I came across some verses, and I was confused by them. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm confused with verses is to say, now I'm going to teach it, so I have to learn it. Yeah. And I, it's just, it's the best way for me to learn the Bible, is to prepare it in a lesson for other people, because if you have to explain to someone else, you have to get it. Um, and so I really, I don't believe that any part, any major portion of scripture should be an enigma to anyone. Amen. Uh, the people that want to know God's word will know God's word. And that's, that's the truth. Uh, if, if you don't understand the book of the Bible, then study it yeah. and ask God to reveal it to you and he will. Um, there's obviously hard parts of scripture and we all get that. And God says that he purposefully hides things in his word so that we have to dig it out. But he wants us to study to show ourselves approved to him. And so that's what we really have been doing in this series is doing a speed version of a deep dive study so that when, when we all go back, we are ready with the tools to then teach ourselves. And honestly, that is... A lot of what goes on in a church anyway is teaching so you can teach yourself because all of us must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so really the idea of any time we come to church is not to get the feeding that we haven't been getting at home. It's to get the things that we've been missing because we should be in God's word for ourselves every day, getting fed directly by God as if we were in church. And then when we come to church, we say, God, show me what I missed this week. And that's really the attitude that God expects for us. Because God didn't give us pastors and teachers to be our spiritual food for us. But rather to help and guide us as we walk with Jesus Christ for ourselves. And so I'm really glad that we can do this series. When I started it, um, God specifically told me to teach it for six weeks. Uh, and, and I really thought that that was a good length of time. It wasn't too long so that we kind of got bogged down in any one place. 
but it wasn't so short that we just sped through the whole thing without looking at, I think, the important things. So I'm really happy that we're finishing this week on Lesson 6. I praise God exactly where I believe God wants us to be. So let's start in chapter 12, verse 1. Um, we're going to read verses 12, uh, 1 through 8. Uh, so the first eight verses of chapter 12 here in a minute, we can start on the right hand side, but let's pray before we start. Lord Jesus, we are privileged to be able to open up your word. First of all, having your whole word. Second of all, having it in English. Father, this is, this is a, a, a privilege that not everyone in the world is able to partake of, Father. And uh, we thank you that we have an understandable Bible in front of us, and it's affordable to us, and we are not, and it's not illegal for us to read. And we thank you for the freedom you have given us to study your word in this country without fear. And I just pray that we would take advantage of that, Father. And as we're finishing up now the book of Ecclesiastes, I pray you to open it up to us. I pray that you would help us to get what you want us to get out of the last chapter here and as we review the whole book because Ecclesiastes is is honestly foundational to Proverbs. If we understand Ecclesiastes we will appreciate Proverbs. We will understand how you want us to order our days in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, let's start in verse 1 over with Emmanuel here and we will read to verse 8, please. Remember now thy creator and thy days of thy youth while the evil days come not while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong man shall bow themselves, and the grinders weep because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the door shall be shut in the streets, for the sound of the grinder is low. He shall rise above the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, and they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be averted, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his own home, and the mourners go about the streets. Forever the silver cord be lost, or the golden vase be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken. Okay, so in the first eight verses, we have a theme continuing throughout them. What is, what is the main idea of these first eight verses? Describe the oldness that's actually uh, addressed to the youth. Yes, so we are describing old age, but we are addressing the instruction to the youth. And what is that all-important instruction? Remember your creator. Remember your God when you have the vitality and the strength to do something with that knowledge. I would love to go through this verse by verse, okay? Because I, I think this passage is so cool. And show you how poetic God likes to be. But I'm just going to give you a small taste of it, okay? And you, you can go back over it in your own time. 
In verse 3, we have a few phrases that are all metaphors, okay? You have in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Okay, that's talking about old hand shaking in old age. You have and the strong men shall bow themselves. That's talking about your legs buckling and becoming weak. Uh, the grinders cease because they are few. That's you're losing teeth. <laughs> and those that look out the window shall be darkened, a loss of eyesight. Okay? So Solomon is being very poetic here. And he is describing the reasons why you are weaker when you're older. And giving you reminders of why you should serve God when you're young. Yes. Okay? Let's continue on to verse... A nine, and let's read to verse 12, please. And moreover, because the future was wise, he filled up the people knowledge, leaving to give to the king who sought out and kept him by the night knowledge, the which was both the final of the coming world, and the rich wisdom for the heart and the wise and good. The words of the And verse 12 there. And further by these, my son, be, be advised, admonished, of making many books, there is no end, mm -hmm. and much study with the weariness of the flesh. Mm -hmm. So the main thought in these verses here now is that knowledge is emptiness if you search for knowledge for the sake of itself. Right? We're talking about the theme of under the sun in Ecclesiastes, right? Versus living for God, living for now versus living for God. And he's saying, if you want knowledge just to know things, there is no end of that knowledge and there's no real conclusion that it will lead you to. Verse 9 shows us that Solomon does validate the use of wisdom in life, okay? He's We've talked about previously that emptiness of wisdom if people don't listen to you and compared with the emptiness of foolishness. But in verse 9, Solomon is saying, I still validate wisdom. It's still good for you to live wisely. Okay, verse 11. There are some very important things here, okay? The words of the wise are his goads and his nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Okay, goads. So that is what you use to spur on an animal, okay? To prick an animal's heels so it will get moving, like an ox, for example, when it's being stubborn, okay? So goads, why does he say the words of wiser is goads? Because they spur us on to righteousness and better living when we are stubborn. Because they prick our consciences when we are wrong. They give us pain when we're in the wrong Okay? Why does he say they're nails? Because nails fasten things, right? When you hammer a nail in, it will hold something fast. And the words of the wise fix wisdom into our minds. They leave it in quaint sayings and in poetic words that will stick in our minds. And they echo those words of wisdom wherever we go after we've heard them. They give us a place also to hang our decisions. 
Nails are something you hang pictures on, right? And if you have wisdom in your life, you can hang your decisions on wisdom. You don't have like an empty wall face where, there, where you can't hang anything and it's everything you try to put up falls down. No, the nails will give you places to anchor your decisions to. They also make sure, but also we are to make sure that those giving us advice are not just people with opinions. Yeah. But as the Bible says, masters of assemblies, people that have proven their advice in front of others, and it has shown to be work, to work and to be respected. So if you're going to fill your mind and heart with wisdom, make sure you're filling it from a reliable source. That's what Solomon is saying here. Now, if we put together this idea of goads and nails, if it's pricking and holding... Think about this. Wisdom has two driving purposes in this verse. It pushes those who want to shrink back. It pushes them forward. And for those who like to go back and forth and vacillate between, is this true? Should I do this? I don't know. It holds them fast. So wisdom will push those who are afraid forward and will hold fast those who change their mind often. Wisdom will give you an anchor in life. And right at the end of this verse, it says, which are given from one shepherd. Solomon is not disrespecting in any way the words of the wise. He is saying, I am telling you, all true wisdom comes from God. And so regardless of how it may look, as we've seen previously in Ecclesiastes, when you are acting right, whether it looks like it's working out, if it's real wisdom, it comes from Jesus Christ. And we must hang our lives on the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, you can never know, you can never read, and you can never write all the wisdom that there is to be had. So, don't try You'll get exhausted. Instead, do not overstudy yourself. Focus on the wisdom that God has in his word. The most important wisdom you will ever come across is God's word. This is the foundational wisdom. Now, Solomon spent a long time looking at a lot of Proverbs that didn't end up in the book of Proverbs. You can kind of read in between the lines in Ecclesiastes. He said, I, I investigated a lot of this. And Solomon's not against study either. He says much study. Solomon's much study is probably not any of ours much study. Solomon gave his whole life to this, okay? So Solomon is not against reading good books. Solomon is not against studying other people's material. Paul wasn't against it. Jesus wasn't against it. Read the entire New Testament. Jesus used a lot of educated people to write scripture, okay? What... Solomon's point is, is if you spend your whole life trying to collect all of the wisdom in the world, you'll miss the basis which is in here. So focus on this, put your energy into this, and when you've got time left over, look at other people. That's really what Solomon is getting at here. This is what God expects you to live your life by. Live your life by this, not by your conglomeration of everyone's ideas. All right, let's read the last two verses. Can we have those last two verses, please? Let us fear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
And these are amazing verses. They deserve their own message. But I just want to go through this phrase by phrase, okay? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Psalm is saying, I've told you a lot. I have analyzed a lot. Let me boil it down to the irreducible basics. This is the foundation. This is what you set your life upon. If you don't get anything else, get these two verses. That's what Psalm is saying. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. After I've searched into every aspect of life that is possible to be searched out, this is what I believe God wants of us. This is my conclusion. First thing, fear God. Now, this is so much bigger than when we think fear. Okay? Because Solomon is literally wrapping up all of life into two things for you. So he's going to pack a lot into this. If you ever read high quality, high quality poetry, you will notice that high quality poetry has like five meanings in two words. Okay? Because good, <laughs> there's a lot of poor poetry, but good poetry is the ability to take giant concepts and lifelong lessons and Boil them down into a very small package and say, study this and you'll get all of those years of experience. Okay? This is what Solomon is doing here. He's saying, I'm giving you my entire life of experience in two ideas. So you are going to have to unpack it a little bit. Okay? So the first thing he says is fear. Fear God. So I looked up this word fear. And I got six concepts within this one word fear. Okay? There are six aspects to this fear. The first one is to be afraid. Solomon says it's okay to have a healthy level of fear before God. Right. If you're doing wrong yeah. and you're not afraid of God, you don't understand God's ability to punish people. Right. Okay, so we should be afraid of God. Not a bad thing. Modern contemporary Christianity wants to tell you God is not to be feared. Solomon says, number one, be afraid. Yeah. Okay. But he doesn't stop there. Number two is respect. Yeah. So you fear Hitler, but you don't respect him. Right. But we respect our God. So not only are you to be afraid of him, but he deserves respect. And we could go into a whole other thing about how God is good and how he is loving and how that earns our respect. But Solomon's saying, respect God. Number three is esteem or to hold in high value. Okay, that's different again. Okay, you can respect someone, but this is actually on a more personal level saying, no, I actually more than just respect them. I hold them as a valuable asset and character in my life. Okay? So Solomon is saying, be afraid, respect, esteem. The fourth thing is affection. Fear also encompasses the idea of affection and love when we're talking about the fear of the Lord. And so he says, don't stop at just being afraid of God. 
continue into actually loving him. Because if you don't, from the depths of your soul, love God, you're missing a ginormous portion of what God wants in your life. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? Someone tell me, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. So if we think fear excludes love, we miss the whole message of the Bible. Jesus, Jesus is leaving us a foundation here. He's saying, be afraid, respect, esteem, love. Fifth thing, all admire God. See him as great. You can respect someone, but see them as an equal. You can esteem someone, but see them as slightly above you. But you cannot all be in awe of someone without seeing yourself as small. And so Solomon is saying to us, love God, fear God, respect him, be afraid of him, esteem him, but hold him in awe. Don't see him as down on your level. Look up and be amazed at your God. And the sixth thing that Solomon I, actually, I have a sixth point, but it's not. There's only five parts to that. Okay, there's five parts to it. I have a sixth point, but it's not because it's another characteristic. It's a quote that I have, okay? <laughs> so there's the five things, okay? Be afraid, respect, esteem, have affection, and have awe. That's all in the word fear. So like I said, Solomon is not giving you a basic, easy-to-understand package. He's giving you a very dense package. He says, unpack this. This is life, okay? Here's the quote. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. The next thing Solomon tells us is, and keep his commandments. And again, we could spend a long time talking about what God's commandments are, but read the Bible there. But here's a quote. The fear of the Lord must result in obedient living. Otherwise, that fear is only a sham. A real respect for God, a real love for God, a real awe of God will lead you to be obedient. For this is the whole duty of man. Solomon says this is, you've got to grasp this. He says this is the essence of man. This is the reason you were created. This is the center of your being. This is your whole existence. Your one goal in life. You need to fear God and obey what he says in his word. If you don't do this, you have not done anything God expects you to do in this life. And if you do these two things, you have done everything he needs from you. Everything he wants of you. The, when the whole of man's existence, someone said, is taken into account, this alone has any real importance for him. How loved, how honored once avails him not, if after life is ended, he does not rest. In the smile of God. Mm. Mark 12, 30-31 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. 
This is the first commandment. And the second is, is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And if we actually followed them, we wouldn't need any other commandments. Yeah. So I'm saying, get this and you'll get the rest of Scripture. God's not trying to make a list of rules so that you become a robot. He's giving you a list of rules because you won't do one. You won't just fear him. You won't just obey him. These words in verse 14 give us a motivation for actually filling out our duty, fulfilling what God asks us to do. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon says, if it's not motivation enough for you that this is why you're created, let me give you another motivation. God's going to check up on every single thing you've ever done. <laughs> and we as Christians like to think we'll get away with that. But Solomon doesn't say so. He says every work, every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That doesn't sound like unsafe people going to judgment. Now, it includes them. But it says whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, we, we understand that there's a great white throne of judgment for the unbelievers. We understand that the unbelievers get sent to hell for their sins. But... Jesus is saying, hold a second, there's a judgment seat of Christ that the believers get to go to, too. And you don't get a free pass just because you're a Christian to do whatever you want. Yeah. We're still held accountable for our thoughts, for our words, our actions. Jesus literally told us in the New Testament that every useless word you happen to speak, he will take right down and give account for it. Yeah. That's a high level of accountability that I don't like to think about. But God is serious about our actions. So let's not think just because we're saved, we'll escape being accountable. Because that's just not true. Your heavenly reward and your position on the new earth is literally dependent on how you fear God and how you obey Him. So taking account of your life today... And saying, do I respect God? Do I love God with every fiber of my essence? And do I want to do nothing else in life but just obey Him? If that's true, you have reward in heaven. But if it's not true, even if you are saved, I promise you, you will lose and lose and lose reward. And it seems to indicate in the Bible to the point where you will have nothing left but simply enter into heaven's gates. Nobody has to have that testimony. But some people will. Because some people won't do the essence of what they're created for. Just fear God. And just do what he says. Okay. We've covered the whole book. But we're not finished yet. I want to go over the themes that we've talked about in Ecclesiastes. Because we have covered so much, I think it's time for us to go back and see the big picture. Because Solomon threads these themes throughout the whole book. So I'm going to have a bit of an interactive time now. 
Anybody who can think of any theme that we've covered in the book of Ecclesiastes, throw it at me in one second, not yet. And then we'll talk about it. Now, this is how we're going to talk about it, okay? Ecclesiastes is written supplying problems and solutions. That's how the whole book is written. Here's a problem in life. Here's God's solution. Here's a problem in life. Here's God's solution. Let me give you the major problem and solution, the most obvious one, okay? Ecclesiastes starts out with life is vanity or life is empty. And Ecclesiastes 12, 13 ends with this solution, live for God. That's not empty. Okay? So, anyone, what is another problem that we read about or another theme that we have in the book of Ecclesiastes? Let's just stop at work because you're going to cover a ton of other themes, okay? Yeah. All right. So we said that let's go with labor. I have a different one for industriousness, but let's say labor is emptiness. We talked about that. So what is the solution? Work hard. Enjoy your work, but don't let your identity get wrapped up in it. Yeah. Okay? That was Solomon's solution to labor being empty. What's a different one? Pleasure. Pleasure. Yes. We said that pleasure is... I'm going to get a pen out so I can mark which ones we said. All right. We said that pleasure is vanity. And Solomon's solution for it was enjoy what God has given you, remembering you will be accountable to him for it. Okay? What's another uh, theme that we covered? Wisdom. Yes. Those, those are two separate ones. Let's do both of them. Wisdom is emptiness if it's all that we live for. If we worship it. And so his solution was live by God's recorded wisdom. Not trying to search for it from everybody. Okay? Then let's do what folly. Folly is emptiness. So what did Solomon say? Be wise. Solomon wasn't against wisdom. He was against collecting everyone's advice and living for everyone else's advice. Just focus on God. Okay? What's another one? There's a time for everything. Yes. Life is seasonal. And Solomon's solution was enjoy the season God has you in and stop fighting the seasons. Okay? What's another one? God judges the righteous and wicked. Yes, God judges everything as we covered right here at the end as well. And I'll, I'll tick off fearing and obeying God are the points of life because we've, we covered that in that idea. What's another one? I have 20. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just want to wrap this up with one thing this morning about the Lord. I said, like, um, whatever you get in life, like accumulation, health, or wealth, or whatever, give some, save some, and then do charity, enjoy your life. Yes, and you know, I think also wrapped up in what you were saying is Solomon presents a balanced view of life, right? Solomon doesn't take extremes in life. He's trying to give us just practical advice on how to balance the difficulties that we see in life. What's another one?
I can read them off to you, but I want to see if you can get any more. Yes, we talked about that as well. Don't make promises you're going to keep. And I, I, I do think I have that written down here somewhere. But we talked, oh yeah, under talkativeness is vanity, right? We talked about having something always to say is emptiness. He said, fear God, speak little before God and keep your promises. Exactly what you were saying. Fear God, speak little before God. And everything we say is before God, right? And keep your promises. What's another one? Live joyfully, absolutely. And um, I think that goes along with the problem that he presented, right? Living is emptiness if all we do is live for now. And so God says, enjoy now what God allows you to enjoy now. Right? Because he talked about the emptiness of the next generation just wasting it. He talked about the emptiness of having everything but not enjoying it. Just enjoy life. What's another one? You mentioned about the next generation. Mm -hmm. Give advice to them. Yes. Yes. He gave advice to different generations. Along with that, he talked about the cyclical nature of life, right? He talked about how everything goes in cycles. He said human creation is just empty because we all just go in cycles. And so Solomon's advice was live for God. God's outside the circle. God's outside that cycle. Uh, along with what we talked about already with labor, industriousness is vanity. He said, if all you do is live for working hard, that's empty too. So his, his solution was get connected to God's work, only that lasts forever. God scraps our work, Solomon said. God scraps our work when he's done with it. But if you invest in what God wants to do, that will never Go to waste. What's another thing we talked about? We are all accountable before God, absolutely. And so he says to fear God for that. Absolutely. The pursuit of wisdom and knowledge is an end in and of itself. Mm -hmm. It's it, the pursuit uh, of, well, yes, I have knowledge is vanity here, like we talked about just a second ago. And so uh, Solomon is saying, focus your attention on God's instructions and knowing God. Because if you focus on wisdom and knowledge for itself, it's a dead end. Absolutely. Do you have another one, Brother Demi? Yeah, I think uh, also I know we all have to mention this. I know one day we are going to die. Yes. And then it's not complete. Yes. Absolutely. I have that one down as well. Death is emptiness. It is a dead end. So Solomon's advice was work hard, enjoy your life now, but remember that God requires an account of your actions. And again, I said death is a dead end because we're looking at under the sun perspective. We're looking at living earth here on earth now. But Solomon's trying to get us connected back to God so we don't see these things as a dead end, but see it from God's Perspective. Let me give you a few more of these, okay? He said, riches are vanity. He said, if all you're doing is living for wealth, that's empty. So he said, enjoy your riches as from God. Don't live for them. God gives them to who he wants to give them to. He said, wisdom and righteousness excelleth, goes beyond, is so much better than the vanity of foolishness. He said, wisdom, 
excelleth folly. So he does tell us to be wise. He says righteousness excels foolishness. He said live, live in a right way. I, I was talking to someone recently and we were talking about integrity. And the idea of integrity is, when, is like when you're building a, a wall and you want it straight. And you get out a plumb line and you drop it down straight. And, and if the wall matches up with the plumb line, then the wall is straight. And that's the idea of integrity. And that's what Solomon is telling us when he says, live for righteousness. It's so much better than, than foolishness. Live a way that is consistent, that is transparent, that holds water. Uh, he also said foolishness is emptiness. And I, I kind of laugh when I read this sentence, but it's very true. He says, be wise for yourself. Yeah. He says, if you're trying to live to make everyone else wise, you're going to be exhausted. Be wise for you. And then lead other people after you're wise. Uh, he also said excessive calculation is vanity. Trying to figure out how everything in life will go. Trying to project everything. He says, look, just work hard, diversify, and trust God. That's it. That's all you can do. Work hard, diversify, and trust God. He talked about youth and old age being vanity. We already discussed that. But he said, remember God in your youth. And there are more things that Solomon talked about, but I thought those were the 20 major themes that we had gone through as we were going through this book. Just practical wisdom. So we live life not from the perspective of under the sun, but above the sun, to the son of God. And then living life through that perspective. Now, I just want to note that Ecclesiastes ends with the conclusion that our purpose is to fear God. Okay, now watch this. Proverbs starts with the assumption that we fear God. And instructing us that fear God is fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot pro properly understand Proverbs without Ecclesiastes. You have got to see the uselessness of your way of living before Proverbs makes sense. Because Proverbs assumes Ecclesiastes. Proverbs assumes that you already understand that you can't do this and that you must fear God. So when you get to the end of Ecclesiastes and you get the conclusion of, oh, so I fear God. Someone goes, now we can start life. Let's read Proverbs. And Proverbs is a wonderful book to read. I, I had a habit of growing up that my parents taught me of reading a proverb a day. A chapter of Proverbs a day. And I don't know how many times I read through the book of Proverbs going up, and a lot of times, dozens and dozens of times through the entire book. And doing that is so helpful to your Christian life because it embeds wisdom into you so that you don't even have to sometimes think, what should I do? The answer is there as you approach yeah, the situation. And so I challenge you all to give it a try, along with whatever else you're reading in the Bible, read one chapter of Proverbs for a month. And if it's 31 days in the month, you'll go through the whole book. And that way you go through the whole book of Proverbs. And it's a, a great, great, great house to build upon this foundation of Ecclesiastes. Because if you get this, if you get fearing God and obeying his commandments, if it sinks into your soul, Proverbs will be a different book. Because it will be, this is how I fear God. 
There's a couple of great quotes that really summarize the book of Ecclesiastes. One is from man and one is from God. I'll read the one from man first and then we'll read the more important one. Someone said, the important thing is to obey God's will and enjoy all that he gives you. Remember, death is coming, so be prepared. That's the Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes in a sentence. Here's another way that God really summarizes all these ideas. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So teach us to number. I heard a story of someone, and this sounds maybe a little dark, but the person didn't view it as dark. They were trying to be wise. They got a custom-made calendar uh, and, and on a poster and put it on their wall. And they put 70 or 80 boxes on it, marking the average lifespan of a person. And then they ticked off for every year that they lived. And they had a visual in their house on a constant basis. That's how many boxes I have left. I need to use them for God. Yes, amen. Now, I'm not saying we all have to have reminders of when we're going to die in our houses. But I am saying that person got it. Yeah. He numbered his days and said, God, teach me to apply my heart to wisdom. Okay, before we finish... This is the theme of Ecclesiastes. Again, life is empty without God. But with God, it all makes sense. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. Because life has purpose and meaning with God. Does anybody have any questions as we finish up this last lesson on Ecclesiastes? All right, let's pray.